Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Williamson County School Board meeting. We're going to call the meeting to order and first start by recording attendance. We have 11 board members present. Thank you. I want to acknowledge and thank deputies Ron Hooper and Randy Purcell for being here with us tonight. Thank you so much. And we're going to start the board meeting tonight with the Pledge of Allegiance and a moment of silence led by board member Jenna Priya. Thank you. You can be seated. First on our agenda tonight is items of particular public interest. And this is the time of the evening that we get to hear from members of the public who have signed up to speak to us. This night, or tonight, we have 15 individuals who have signed up to speak. And Lydia, we have uh, not everybody confirmed or? No. Okay. So that's okay. We, um, have 15 minutes, or I'm sorry, 15 individuals confirmed and 30 minutes allotted. So everyone will have two minutes to speak tonight. Um, so I will read through the names in pairs of two. The first individual can come on up to speak. I just wanted the second person I call on to be aware that you'll be next so that you're prepared to come on up. So the first individual is Jody Smith. And you'll be able to see the time on the screen in front of you so you can pace yourself. Um, jo just one second. I can't. I don't think the microphone's on yet. Let's see here. Is it on? Test, test. Oh, there you go. One. Okay, great. Now you're good. Go ahead. Microphone professional. I grew up in a world where many books were banned. I was sheltered, homeschooled, churched, learning about incest and rape at age 12 as I read about Lot and his daughters in the Christian Bible. As I asked my parents about it, they were not equipped to help me process that story, so I never brought up the genocide, murder, infanticide, and other rape stories I read in the Bible. Just accepted it as what God wanted at the time. As a, teacher, as a teenager, when my friend told me she was molested by a family member, I didn't know what happened to her. I didn't know what happened to her was a crime until adulthood. I'm not proud of how I handled it, and I had no frame of reference. I was just a sheltered teenager who didn't even know what sex was beyond something you shouldn't do with your husband, and of course the Bible. The adults around me didn't handle it well either. They were simply adults trying to act in the best interest of minors. I was so sad for her. I wish I could go back and be an adult who listened and took real action beyond being given an apology from the predator. Predators thrive on silence, secrecy, and shame. We must do everything we can to protect our kids, and one way is to give them a voice. Allowing children to experience the world of others through books is vital, not just to their development of empathy, but to help them stand up for others and for themselves. We want to share 
them to share experiences with us, both lived and in books, so we may guide and support them. And perhaps it is us who should be reading these books and seeking to work through any discomfort and questions in our own hearts. And when our children come to us with difficult conversations, may we model empathy, justice, and love. Anyone pushing fear, divisiveness, and shame that drives censorship of books is only harming us more. If you wanna protect children, that isn't the way. Thank you. Thank you. Next on the, on the list, we have Emily Paisley. And following Emily, we'll have Danny Morales. Before the perfectly appointed board policy 4.402 was butchered from board policy, it thoroughly described in great detail how books in school have been selected prior to October 22. Now we have the ambiguous revision of 4.403, which is expected to be the guiding directive on how to proceed with complaints, such as this one on the docket, with wording like, materials shall be suitable, and materials shall be appropriate, or materials shall contain. Problems and questions of this nature will continue and be very wasteful of educators and board members' valuable time, not to mention mine, to speak directly to what is being asked for removal. Unless these books are being made available to schools lower than the high school level, then I see no objectionable way how these books do not directly correlate and resonate with high school students of today's society and in this community. When my son was seven years old, I wasn't ready for him to learn about hate. But when he came home during his second grade year asking me about Martin Luther King Jr., it was then that I had the opportunity as a parent to have a learning moment and discussion with him and guide him in an age-appropriate way on a topic of which he had no knowledge. I realized it was necessary because other seven-year-olds of color were already experiencing hate firsthand in their everyday lives. When a book can be a warning for a girl on a subject her authority figures think does not apply to her because of their own ignorance of the current culture, I say do not stifle a child's education because of one's own uncomfortableness. If there are families that are not ready to deal with relevant subject matter, then let them opt out. They do not have the right to make educational decisions for my child. Thank you. Thank you. Next we have Danny Morales, and following Danny, we'll have Ashley Webster. Hello and good evening. My name is Danny Morales, and I'm a student at Ravenwood High School. As you all have probably heard time and time again, representation matters, but you probably haven't heard it enough because I'm standing up here today. In my opinion, banning the, banning the books that are being challenged here today won't do anything except for make it harder for teens who have experienced the topics in these books, such as sexual abuse, assault, depression, and suicide, to come forward about their experience and to try to seek help from any trauma they have received. Schools have always been a place where students can think freely and explore different ideas and perspectives. By banning books, we are stripping this away and denying students to learn about different experiences. The only thing that results from book banning is a narrow-minded and homogenous society. When we censor certain topics in books, that is pretty much just saying that there's a right way to think and that there's a wrong way to think. This will be extremely detrimental to the books being challenged today that discuss the topics of depression, suicide, and sexual assault. A society that grows up on a book ban will ultimately be a less tolerant and less inclusive society. It is not fair or reasonable to impose one person's moral or ethical standards on an entire community. In my opinion, as a student, 
sorry. And as a student, I feel that banning books with certain topics will limit my education because I want to know about all kinds of different people and experiences to help me think critically instead of being closed-minded. We are teaching a new generation of kids to fear books, to fear new concepts, to fear people that are different than them, and to ultimately fear knowledge. Is this what we want to teach our kids? As much as you'll fear these mature topics, they won't go away with a ban because these are real world problems that real people deal with. Instead of banning books and violating intellectual freedom, we should encourage open and honest dialogue and trust our students to think critically and make informed decisions about what they want to read. Thank you. Thank you. Next we have Ashley Webster followed by Elliot Franklin. Hi, I'm Ashley Webster and I live in Franklin. Um, I want to say that a small vocal group should not get to decide whether these books are available on the public library shelves. Parents have been and can still restrict what library books their own children check out. If you vote to restrict access to these books, even with an opt-in system that requires a parent's signature to check out the items in question, that's a book ban and the system will be sued. The ACLU is watching and taxpayers will foot the bill. We're talking about high schoolers here, 99% of whom carry a smartphone that's a portal to just about any content, content they desire. Many of them have personal laptops and access to home computers. The library is not the source of any inappropriate content they consume. I only wish we had a problem where libraries were overrun by high school students clamoring to check out all the books, <laughs> emptying the shelves or digital cues like Costco running out of toilet paper during the pandemic. I can assure you that the high school student who commits sexual harassment or physical assault or uses illicit drugs or calls someone a name or uses profanity did not learn that behavior from a library book. The parents and children pushing for this ban should use their energy on teaching their children how to make good decisions when nobody's watching, how to treat others as Jesus would, how to respect authority, to take responsibility when they've done something wrong, and any one of a million other things than restricting what's on the shelves at the library. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have Elliot Franklin, and then we'll have a Ravita Raman. Good evening, my name is Elliot Franklin. We keep hearing from the media and the majority of this board that we should not be restricting books based on content or age, that parents have the ability to block their students from checking out the books that they don't agree with, and reminding us that our kids are reading and doing much worse on their cell phones. While this is probably true, the bottom line is you are using taxpayer funds to purchase these books, and the books in question are illegal according to multiple different laws in Tennessee. They may not have been illegal when they were initially purchased, but some of these laws were just recently passed, such as the Age Appropriate Materials Act and TCA 39 18902, which as of July 1st makes it a Class E felony to sell or distribute obscene materials in public schools. I understand that those who've been in contact with you pushing to keep these books, including district legal counsel, are stating that removing them might violate the First Amendment and cost in potential lawsuits. However, this legal advice is not without bias. The Supreme Court case of Miller versus California established a definition of obscenity for criminal prosecution and other purposes. This takes into account community standards when assessing whether the, the material appears to purient interest and depicts or describes sexual conduct in a patently offensive manner. Courts have recognized that communities have the right to establish their own standards of decency and protect their members from offensive and harmful material. And Tennessee has done that in 3917901, their obscenity code. They talk about matter, meaning any book or magazine that is obscene. They talk about nudity, showing the male or female genitals. They show, talk about patently offensive, meaning that which goes substantially beyond customary limits of candor. They talk about purient interest, which means is shameful or morbid interest in sex. 
This should give you enough information to make an informed decision based on the law and remove these books instead of putting WC at risk of violating Tennessee law. Finally, it was good to see both in April as well as the Thursday work session, the discussion around reporting district bullying stats. My question is to you, why isn't this a standing item on the board's agenda? Based on the discussion Thursday, hopefully we'll see it in August. The bottom line is the bullying isn't getting much better. And if you look at the root cause, it's likely tied to the CRT curriculums, restorative justice, as well as these obscene books. What motivation do our students have to follow the code of conduct when the school board itself is ignoring Tennessee law? I hope that you will fo help us remember focusing on pursuing excellence in academic, athletics, and the arts instead of porn. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have Ravita Rockman. And next, after that will have Trisha Lucente. In August 2018, before the saga of copycat book ban complaints across the country, I actually reached out to my sixth grade, my son's sixth grade teacher at the time about a book he had been assigned. This is parents' rights in action, involvement with my son and his teacher. My concerns were resolved with, the with my child's teacher and the librarian called me and addressed my questions that I had about the materials that my son was reading, which led me to allow him to read this book. This is how a parent should act to concerns about materials. While your values may dismiss many materials in the library, you do not have the right to dictate what me or my family should have access to. While many children have the ability to view pornography and other inappropriate materials on their mobile devices that no one has expressed the same concern about. Your rights as a parent have never changed. What has changed is the marching orders people are receiving regarding the materials that they are suggesting to ban. I don't see the same interest or outrage when one Wilco is fielding calls from kids who's actually received bullying, an unprecedented increase in numbers here in WCS. Instead of focusing on the boogeyman book ban, I would ask you to direct your immediate attention to how to change the horrible increase in bullying in this district. Is staff going through professional development this summer to combat bullying? Is the WCS staff being trained how to protect students in our community from racial harassment? These are actually problems that you have the ability to do something about, about what kids are experiencing here. A school board member once incorrectly shared the river between us discussed prostitution. Having been on the book review committee and reading that book, I assure you that word is not even a premise in the book. We need to stop succumbing to alternative facts, do the hard work you're elected to do and read add as much time and energy to some real problems that we have, like bullying. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, our next speaker is Trisha Lucente, and then following that we have Jeff Stewart. Hi, good evening. You guys are breaking the law. You're breaking the Age Appropriate Act. You're breaking materials. You're, you are by keeping certain books in student libraries, you are providing pornographic materials to our children. Our taxpayer-funded public school libraries should not contain explicit, violent, and pornographic material that offers no educational value. Removing a book from a school library or restricting access via a mature reading list is not book banning. There are plenty of books absent from school libraries and it's not possible to carry every book ever written. And parents and students are always free to purchase any of these books or check them out from the public library. Protecting young children from pornography, violence, trauma, suicidal ideation, gender ideology, political bias, and indoctrination is of the utmost importance. I know that you think that, I don't understand why 
by limiting a book or by providing a mature reading list, it's any different than providing a firewall to your internet. Um, even if a child opens up their smartphone at school, there are things they are limited from seeing because your firewall is in your Wi-Fi. So how is it any different from preventing children from looking at the same kind of pornographic material in a book or on their smartphone that is not protected from us in school on their Wi-Fi or whatever it is? It's the same violation of rights if it is a violation of rights, which it's not. So your job is to protect children and to keep you know, bad materials out of their hands in our taxpayer-funded uh, public schools. So I'm going to leave you with a quote from the Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court has long held that the parental rights are among those fundamental liberty interests protected by the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. The law's concept of the family rests on a presumption that parents possess what a child lacks in maturity, experience, and capacity for judgment required for making life's difficult decisions. More importantly, historically, it has been recognized that natural bonds of affection lead parents to act in the best interest of their children. Thank you. Thank you. Next on our list is Jeff Stewart, followed by Angie Colvin. Hi, thank you, Jeff Stewart, uh, Franklin, 12th District. Um, there is no challenge whatsoever to parents' rights here. Parents' rights are very important. Uh, and as we just heard, the Supreme Court talking about the right of a parent to influence what their children do and have access to is important and is not being challenged here. The rule as it stands currently gives parents exactly that right to set uh, rules around materials that they cannot access. It does not give them the right to set rules around what other people's children can access. And I think the really important stipulation here is we need to trust the professionals that you all oversee and, and have hired. We need to trust our librarians, to make determinations around what is educationally valuable, what is age appropriate. When there is a challenge that comes from the community as did here, we need to trust the education professionals who review those materials thoroughly, come to a decision and make a recommendation to this board that says these materials have educational value and they are age appropriate. We need to trust those professionals and then we need to trust parents to make good choices for their children. We don't need to trust other parents to make good choices for our children. Each parent can do that for themselves. So I completely understand the concerns of some of the parents in the room. Uh, I think comparing these materials to uh, pornography is quite extreme, but every parent has, still has the right to say, this is not appropriate for my child. I don't want them to access it. Please don't give other parents the right to make those decisions for me and for my family. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Angie Colvin, followed by Stephen Hickey. Hi, I'm Angie Colvin, District 5. Um, I want to say, first of all, we're hearing book banning a lot, and I just feel like it needs to be clarified. Asking to have age-inappropriate materials removed from the library is not book banning. Anyone who lives in Williamson County can get a library card, and you can either physically go to the library or you can use their online services to do ebooks and audiobooks. So kids would still have access to those books. I've even read some of these through the online library. So. Um, I think it's important to remember or to, to understand as someone who strictly monitors what my kids, any video games, books they read, shows they watch, music they listen to, all of that goes through me and my husband before it ever gets to my kids. And I am constantly trying to stay on top of what's going on in schools, what they're exposed to, and it is impossible. 
Um, and I don't understand why when I read things saying that um, librarians choose books with sensitive content in order to expose kids to that, to prepare them, to give the parents opportunities to discuss that with them. Why is there not some, kind, some type of warning or rating system being put on the books if the librarians already know that there's sensitive content in those books? That would dramatically reduce the problem that we have right now because not only would parents be aware of it, but kids would be aware of it. They can make better choices. Um, and also, I've heard a lot of references to, to child abuse and things like that. As someone who used to work in the child abuse field, I can tell you that a child picking up a book that contains this content that has experienced that in their life and they have no warning of it before they read that content can be extremely traumatic and detrimental to their well-being. So if we can't do something to get the books off the shelves or, or something, there has to be some type of restrictions so that parents know what their kids are reading, kids know what they're picking up in their hands. Um, and this can't be put on just the parents to opt out because when we try to opt out of things, it's not as simple as everybody says. I've already tried to opt out of books and was told I couldn't do it the way I wanted to do. I had to know every single book in the library. I had to give the name, the author, and it's just not physically possible when you have kids at multiple schools, multiple libraries to know all the books that are in there. So thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Stephen Hickey, followed by Andrea Gomez. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to read to you a piece uh, that uh, appeared in publication shortly after World War II. It's titled, When Will Their Objectives Be Met? Corrupt the young, get them away from religion, get them interested in sex, make them superficial, destroy their ruggedness, get control of all means of publicity, and thereby get people's minds off their government by focusing their attention on athletics, sexy books and plays, and other trivialities. Divide the people into hostile groups by constantly harping on controversial matters of no importance. Destroy people's faith in their national leaders by holding, up, holding the latter up to contempt, ridicule, and obloquy. Always preach true democracy, but seize power as fast and ruthlessly as possible. Encourage government extravagance, destroy its credit, produce fear of inflation with rising prices and general discontent. Foment unnecessary strikes in vital industries, encourage civil disorders, and foster lenient and soft attitude on the part of government towards such disorders. By specious argument, cause the breakdown of the old moral virtues, honesty, sobriety, continence, faith in the pledged word, ruggedness. Cause the registration of all firearms on some pretext with the view of confiscating them and leaving the population helpless. To buttress my point, here's a few examples from books uh, that we're talking about this evening that uh, speak to these, uh, these virtues. From the Field Guide to the North American Team by Ben Philippe. That was the exact moment Patrick chose to projectile vomit everywhere. Patrick was, as it turned out, already quite shit-faced. Neither Norris nor Liam had a handle on exactly how many of the beers he had drunk, but out of a case of 24, at least seven had gone to him. And this continents from Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. She didn't know raw nakedness could bring such want. He whispered his hands against her inner thighs, and instinctively she stepped each foot to the side slightly. His fingers moved between her legs and slowly massaged parts of her she never knew existed. She threw her, she threw her head back and whimpered. When will their objectives be met? Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Andrea Gomez, followed by Al Gomez. My name's Andrea Gomez. I'm a parent of two teenagers and a former teacher. 
I'm going to speak in regards to a couple of the books that are um, being reconsidered, um, specifically the book Speak. Um, it's a story about a high school freshman who's raped at a summer party. Rape is a traumatic event. One in six women and one in 33 men experience rape as a child or an adult. And those are just the reported statistics. There are many more that go unreported. Each year, more than 10 million U.S. children endure the trauma of abuse and violence in the home. Exposing minor children to traumatic events, like the rape described in this book, is cruel and irresponsible. Just listening to traumatic and abusive stories may take an emotional toll on a child that negatively impacts their development and their worldview. It is the public school's responsibility to teach academic mastery, not expose children to traumatic rape scenes. And empathy is taught and modeled in the home and through relationships that they can build at school. Empathy is not taught by reading about rape in a book. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Al Gomez, followed by Harper Fitzgerald. Al Gomez, Thompson Station. Um, I want to read out of a book called The Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's about a, a Charlie, a high school freshman who suffers clinical depression. And uh, Charlie writes to a, a friend about his experiences his freshman year, which was also required reading for my, I talked to a, a neighbor's child that graduated and this was required for them to read. This one couple, who I was told later were very popular and in love, stumbled into my, my room and asked if I minded them using it. I told them that my brother and sister said I had to stay here and they asked if they could use the room anyway with me still in it. I said I didn't see why not, so they closed the door and started kissing, kissing very hard. After a few minutes, the boy's hand went up the girl's shirt and she started protesting. Come on, Dave. What? The kid's in here. It's okay. And the boy kept working up the girl's shirt. And as much as she said no, he kept working it. After a few minutes, she stopped protesting and he pulled her shirt off. And she had a white bra on with lace. I honestly didn't know what to do by this point. Pretty soon he took off her bra and he started to kiss her breasts. And then he put his hand down her pants and she started moaning. I think they were both very drunk and he reached to take off her pants, but she started crying really hard. So he reached for his own and pulled his pants and underwear down to his knees. Please, Dave, no. But the boy just talked soft to her about how good she looked and things like that. And she grabbed his penis with her hands and started moving it. I wish I could describe this a little more nicely, but without, his, without using words like penis, but that's the way it, it was. After a few minutes, the boy pushed the girl's head down and she started to kiss his penis. She was still crying. Finally, she stopped crying because he put his penis in her mouth. And I don't think you can cry in that position. I had to stop watching at this point because I started to feel sick, but I kept on going on and they kept doing other things and she kept saying no. I don't think this is you know, very appropriate for minors to be, to be reading in school. And it just, this does have a content warning, a four out of five, not for minors, book list review rating. Sorry, I took a couple extra. Thank you. 
Our next speaker is Harper Fitzgerald, and fo followed by Lindsay Hornick. And I apologize for the, the distractions. It looks like we're just having a few technical issues that we're getting resolved. Sorry about that, guys. Mr. Fitzgerald? Okay, go ahead. Hi there. My name is Harper Fitzgerald, and I'm going into my senior year at Franklin High School. I've attended the last two school board meetings and have voiced my opinions on the harm of banning books. Between the time of the last school board meeting and this one, I decided to go and pick up Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. During my reading of this book, I was left utterly confused as to why this board would ban this book. The sexual content being flagged from this book offered me one of the most refreshing perspectives onto the topic I have ever seen. It never once encouraged sexual activity, but rather opened my ideas to the idea that sex is not always perfect and can be scary and confusing for many. Topics like these that are being banned and shunned are valuable for teens to learn about. Reading about these ideas helps bring other perspectives to light and ensures that our exploitation of sensitive ideas is safe. If you ban books for violence and sexual content, then you open a gateway for banning books that just blatantly make you uncomfortable. Instead, we must have conversations that lead to productive discourse. I understand the desire to be involved in your child's education, but that should be discussed within your own home. No parent has the right to control what other kids choose to learn about. If you have a problem about the topics being discussed in books or classrooms, then it is your responsibility as a parent to explain that to your child. Books are already being labeled based on the content within them as young adult books or adult books, which allows kids and parents to know what should be expected within the book. Books provide safe spaces for many kids and offer an escape from the stresses of high school. Keeping these books within school libraries allows kids who may not have any other access to the book to read about and explore new ideas. I encourage this, this board to represent us, the students, and our educational journey, rather than the parents trying to force their beliefs onto us. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Lindsay Hornick, and followed by Corey Martin, who will be our, our final speaker. Hello, my name is Lindsay Hornick, and I've just graduated from Franklin High School. Throughout my four years at FHS, I've read books that have taken me through whirlwinds of emotions. I've been deserted on an island with Jack and Piggy, mourned with Eliezer and his people, as his people were stripped of humanity, sailed down the river with Huck and Jim, lost my mind alongside Setha as her past devoured her, and most recently, I've journeyed around New York City with a boy named Oscar in the novel Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer. There's an extremely prevalent quote from this novel that reads, quote, the book has been so buried, so I hid this time behind a group of trees. I imagine their roots wrapped, roots wrapped around books, pulling nourishment from the pages. I imagine rings of letters in their trunk. This quote is evidence for the necessity of free reading. Trees, often a symbol of life in literature, are pulling nutrients from books. In other words, books are supplying life. That is what reading has always felt like to me. Books are not just an escape from our real world, but are an open gate for learning about life. Here in Williamson County, it is extremely important that our youth is learning about the hardships of the real world. Our Wilco bubble, although a safe place to grow up in, is very sheltered. Reading is one of the prominent ways that we, especially as high schoolers, can learn about the world we are about to go into. The day that our teachers had to scan in all of their books or take them home according to the new Tennessee state policy may have been one of the most discouraging days of the entire year. I walked into school watching teachers ripping apart textbooks, 
packing up their personal libraries and mumbling due to frustration of the new policy. The biggest impact of my day was walking into English class and seeing that the entire collection of Mouse by Art Spiegelman that had been sitting on the shelf all year was suddenly gone. As a Jewish student, I was hurt and disappointed that such an important story was taken away because of state policy. Please stop discouraging us. Don't let other parents decide what we can read and cannot read. I also just want to address all the parents who are reading about sexual contact and rape. Wait until your child is in that situation and doesn't even know what's happening to know that it's wrong and then can't get the help that they need because they have no clue what's going on. Thank you. Thank you. Our final speaker is Corey Martin. Thank you, Madam Chair, and happy Juneteenth, everyone. Um, I'm sure most of you are probably aware of this, but there was a, a little snafu with the uh, superintendent scoring last month. I think you probably all know what I'm talking about. The, um, the, the assessments, the goal was uh, listed as a 3.17 score. It should have been a 3.45 score on uh, performance goal number three because of a, an, an NA uh, that was miscalculated. So I've been told that that's been corrected, but I just wanted to make sure that that was on the public record. Uh, and speaking of the public record, I have a couple of requests for the uh, the way that the report is done next time around. It'd be great if we could have each individual board member's uh, assessment listed out rather than just a summary of them, because for me as a voter, I would prefer that transparency to see who has voted on what. And similarly, the uh, comment sections are really important as well to see like why you did what assessment, why you gave which assessment. Uh, I was talking with a parent the other day who was talking about how they couldn't get the uh, test from uh, uh, their student, from, from their teacher, because, uh, because of privacy issues. And it, it was frustrating to the parent because uh, how are they going to improve from their uh, what they messed up on without seeing what they messed up on? Similarly, I think uh, Dr. Golden and the rest of us could benefit from your, um, from your feedback. So that's that. Uh, I wanted to uh, address a few things that I've heard tonight um, regarding the book stuff. Um, Mr. Franklin was using the criminal definition of obscenity here, which is impertinent to the discussion. Uh, Ms. Colton wanted a, a warning system, and we have that with Ms. Cleveland's amendment um, with uh, the books. Um, and Ms. Uh, Lucente cited the Supreme Court, so I will too. Uh, in 1982, um, Justice William Brennan wrote, local school boards may not remove books from school libraries simply because they dislike the ideas contained in those books and seek their removal, but to prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion. So you have the opportunity tonight to either disobey Tennessee state law or federal state law. I would hope that you do not restrict the books. Thanks. Thank you, and thank you to all of our speakers for coming tonight. We appreciate you taking your time to, to read what's going on on our agendas and to show up and speak with us. Our next item on the agenda is our superintendent contract review and extension, which is an annual agenda item that must be addressed before we approve our agenda for the evening. So we will start with that. Um, and I'll open the floor to Mr. Golden to speak to the contract renewal. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you for mentioning that this is uh, something that's actually required to be the first item on uh, on the agenda. Under Tennessee law, I think you all know this uh, superintendent's contracts for can extend for as long as four years. 
Uh, currently, I'm at uh, three years after uh, having a, um, a renewal from you all last year. Uh, I will tell you that I'm proud of the work our team has done uh, over the time that I've been superintendent. It's amazing. I'm already in my fifth year as uh, as superintendent. And as I think back on that, it's it's pretty incredible. At the same time, we've seen a lot of growth, a lot of growth in our students, a lot of growth in how we uh, in how we serve students. But we have a lot of growth to go. I think about the strategic plan uh, that's on the board's agenda tonight uh, and where we're headed. And I'm looking forward to proceeding and leading that work um, in, in conjunction with you all. So if you decide it's appropriate to extend my contract uh, an additional year to bring it to four years, I will accept that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Golden. Um, our first item, what we'll need to do is put a motion on the floor to extend Mr. Golden's contract, Mr. Wimberly, and then Mr. Haw seconds. Thank you. We'll open the floor to discussion. Mr. Brown. Really a question for you, Jason. Um, maybe I'm putting you on the spot here, but what would you say in the, in, in the last year is your proudest accomplishment? Um, thing that you, and you're, you're most proud of either for yourself or for the team? Well, I tell you, there's so many. And you know, it's funny, after somebody goes on vacation, I, I might ask him, what was the best thing on, on your trip, right? And, uh, and it, it's, I, I enjoy hearing those stories. So let me give you a, a couple, of, couple of them. Number one, I'm, I'm proud of the incredible growth in our students. We share some of the data uh, from those students with an unprecedented number of students who, uh, uh, who, who, who scored a perfect 36 composite score in the ACT, the highest we've ever had. Uh, we talk likewise about the National Merit Scholars, uh, the, the, uh, the unprecedented number of National Merit Scholars. I tell you, I'm proud of the bullying statistics that we've been able to improve our process of collecting those. When I first became superintendent, I thoughtfully with our team reached out to our students and spoke to many students who, frankly, have already graduated, may have already graduated college by now. Uh, and one of the consistent um, items that they shared was they were often not reporting <laughs> incidents because they felt like nothing was being done. I'm proud of the work we're doing and taking steps towards that. Uh, I'm proud of our achievements in arts. I'm proud of our achievements in athletics, uh, the, the celebrations that we've been able to add uh, during this time, uh, especially with those art celebrations. Our, our, uh, our mission statement, our vision statement, talks about providing a supportive environment where students are challenged to excel in academics, athletics, and the arts. And board members, you know that I speak to that quite regularly at our meetings, where we provide a supportive environment where students are challenged. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that process we've been going through. Uh, so when you ask that question, uh, what am I most proud of? Uh, there's so many things. I'm gonna, and I spoke to students just then, I've gotta speak to our faculty and staff. I'm proud of the pay increases that we've initiated. Uh, we're not there yet uh, because we're competing with the market. Uh, we're competing with inflation, uh, but we have a good relationship with the county commission uh, and we're working together as a team to grow that and make sure that we're uh, as competitive as we can be in this difficult staffing environment as a number of teachers uh, in Middle Tennessee continues to shrink 
and the demands grow because people want to be here. Uh, so I, frankly, I could go on and on, uh, um, but as I do a little bit of self-analysis, I know one of the one of the key points that that uh, that I always focus on is where we go, where we go from here. Uh, and I'm proud that we have a proposed strategic plan that can get us uh, to continue that road. You all may recall a year ago or so, we were about five years into a seven year strategic plan and I said, it's time. It's time for us to, to, to start again and shrink that old window because there've been so many changes in our community. So I'm proud of that. Uh, and, and the truth is we don't do a ton of reflection because we are always looking forward and moving forward. Thank you. Mr. Wimberly. Thank you, Madam Chair. Mr. Golden, this isn't gonna be an easy one either, but if we add another year to your contract, what are you gonna do with the next four years? And can we start the timer and timing? So what comes to your mind First. First is that strategic plan. What gets attention gets done. And I know you like succinct answers, so I'll end it right there. Thank you. Good answers both times. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, I'll just end us in comment by saying Mr. Golden is kind and thoughtful, considerate. He's a great leader. He shifted from leading the operations day to day into leading the district as a whole and maintained the standards and grew and continues to see our district excel in key categories. And so I appreciate him as a leader and appreciate the way he respects the staff and respects board and communicates with us. So we'll continue to cast our votes. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. Super. That approval um, did secure Mr. Golden's contract for another year, extended Mr. Golden's contract for another year. Next item on our agenda is to approve our agenda. We'll uh, open the floor for a motion. Mr. Beasley, do we have a second? Uh, Mr. Mitchell, thank you. Any discussion on the agenda? All right, let's vote. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. Thank you. With that uh, vote, the motion passed to approve the agenda. Next item on the agenda is to approve the consent agenda. Open the floor for a motion. Thank you, Ms. Clements. In a second. Mr. Mitchell, thank you. Any discussion? Okay, let's move to a vote. Vote is 11 yes, zero no. Thank you, that motion passed. And with that approval, we approved the school board meeting minutes from May 15th, 2023. We approved the second reading of board policies Board member conflict of interest and code of ethics. We approve the recommendation for field trip fee requests. We approve the SAC fees for 2023-24. We approved the e-plan applications for fiscal year 2024, including the 
ESEA grants, IDEA Part B, IDEA Preschool to School, and Carl Perkins Basic Grant. We also approved the request from Riverside Fellowship Church to lease Page Middle School. Next item on the agenda is the communications to the board. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, first, I want to thank uh, our speakers tonight and thank those who sent us emails over the last few days as it became apparent that this many months long discussion about library books was coming up for a vote um, from, from the board. You know, this work is hard. Uh, you all just extended my contract and we all know, our whole team knows this is hard work. And the state placed a responsibility on you that differed a little bit from how the responsibility was structured in the past. Uh, so when that law was passed, uh, placing the, the decision on you for library books, uh, our policies were modified. The policies used to have a structure where curriculum and library books uh, were in place together under one policy with a committee reviewing and making a decision that, that in turn was appealable to the board. So when the state changed that, they, the policies had to shift and we have a library policy where there's a recommendation from the committee uh, to the board. Uh, the discussion that our community had, has had, and I expect will continue to have, is valuable in that the more we communicate about this, the more parents are aware of the power and authority they have to make decisions for their own children. Uh, we talked about this at Poly Policy Committee a few months ago, but it didn't really get a ton of public attention until this item came up. So uh, I encourage you all as board members, no matter what your vote is tonight on this issue, to continue to communicate uh, that uh, to your constituents, to your to your community, that parents do that do have that decision making power on on items uh, that, that 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 are in the curriculum. Years ago, it tended to lean towards dissection. Uh, and, and making decisions on whether your child participates in that or not. But it has always been much more broad than that, that parents do have that decision-making power. So thank, thank you, uh, members of the community, for that discussion. Uh, second, the last time we met as a, as a full voting board, we had not yet had our graduation ceremonies. And those were wonderful ceremonies. I know many of you attended as, as many of those uh, graduation ceremonies as you could. And that's one of the that's one of the one of the perks of being a school board member that you get to participate. Uh, a lot of tears, a lot of happy tears, uh, watching children graduate and move on uh, to their to their next steps. I'm excited about the strategic plan because there are a lot of items in there about the next steps towards preparing our students for those next steps. We talked specifically about students with disabilities in those next steps. We talked specifically about college and career technical education. We talked specifically about preparing students uh, in an academic setting. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, Mr. Brown, you asked me some of my proudest uh, items. Uh, I wanna celebrate uh, at the high school level, we had 61 students this past year score a 36 composite ACT score, the highest possible score. That's more than we've ever had. We had 78 national merit finalists. That's more than we ever had. In part because our team focuses on those opportunities to open doors for our students. On the opposite end of the age spectrum, we talked about third grade this year, did we not? Uh, third, third, the what we call the third grade retention law that, if I'm not mistaken, uses the word promotion in the actual code title. 
uh, we had 3,045 third graders this year. And you all remember two years ago when the legislature passed that law that if third graders didn't meet certain, certain benchmarks, they had to be retained. You all got involved and many folks across the state got involved to allow for a little bit of an additional criteria, one more criterion uh, for, for students because we recognized that one particular test, the very first time students take it, was not reasonable. As a result of all those efforts and as a result of our team focusing on third grade retention. Ultimately, we had 26 students who fit that criteria of having to go to summer school and take tutoring during the course of the school year so as not to be retained. Uh, ultimately, of those 26, 23 are in that summer school program right now. Uh, as we speak, uh, and we had three notify us that, uh, that, that they were not going to be in the school district next year uh, for various reasons. So ultimately, I'm proud of the, of the work we've done with that over this course of the school year. Um, we really have focused, especially at those youngest grades, on, uh, on, on phonics, on what, on what we call uh, um, foundational skills uh, to help students learn to read. We know, and you know, that it takes those early years to prepare them for third grade, grade even though that particular test is that first point. Uh, so we're excited about the review of where we were this past, this past year uh, with those grade levels and those couple of examples. And I mentioned to you at the work session on Thursday night in, when we were talking about graduation, how especially proud I am of Vanguard Virtual School. It's in its third year of existence and we recognized that there was a need for some of our students to have that virtual high school option. It wasn't a large number. We have over, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around 14,000 um, high school students, grades nine through 12. Uh, we had 50 graduates from the virtual school this year and it was 100% graduation rate. Uh, so I'm very proud of Allison Fisher, who's sitting over here. Uh, you all know many of our principals come uh, to, to our board meetings. So, Ms. Fisher, I want to thank you for that. Uh, thank you for your leadership in getting that school started and the very apparent success opening doors for our students uh, that you led uh, this year. Uh, so that's my verbal superintendent's report. Uh, for, for tonight. And as you may notice, Carol Birdsong is standing back there. Uh, and we make it a point on a monthly basis when state and national awards come to specifically celebrate our students, faculty, and staff. Uh, and Carol, I know it's the end of the year, so you might have a few of them. We do have a few of them uh, to, to celebrate. And we're going to start with this one. Very exciting for Nate Martinez over at Independence High School. He was named a U.S. Presidential Scholar. There are only two selected for each state. So this is quite an honor. Congratulations to him. We have five students that we are going to celebrate tonight who earned the perfect ACT composite score. These are included in the, in the 61, uh, but we have not honored them yet. So this is Luke Hawes from Brentwood, Catherine Perez from Brentwood, Lucas Mathis from Franklin, Thomas Jordan from Page, and Sarah Revila from Ravenwood. Um, in the arts, the Tennessee Performing um, Arts 
puts on a program called the Spotlight Awards each year. And this is Lainey McCarter from Nolensville High School and Sawyer Curtis from Independence. Uh, Sawyer performed for us, those of you who, who are at the, the Fine Arts uh, uh, showcase this year. They uh, were named Outstanding Lead Performers, so quite an honor for them. Let's talk middle school athletics next. So you know what, a year or so ago we joined the, the, the State Tennessee Middle School Athletic Association and we continue to bring home the trophies from Grassland Middle. This is your 4 by 400 meter relay team of Aubrey Gates, Sienna Thompson, Liv Garrett, and Zami Wasuki, and Alexander Eichner is their coach. Uh, Grayson Dorr won the high jump as well from Grassland Middle. From Brentwood Middle, well, they won the boys track competition. Uh, their coach is Dennis Harrison. This is Gabe Cable. He won the 400 meter dash, Brentwood Middle. Andrew Spector won both the 800 meter and 1600 meter runs. And then we have the 4 by 200 relay team of Jones Merrill, Cohen Dabbs, Liam Den, and Wyatt Lute from Brentwood Middle School. The 4 by 400 uh, relay team, Andrew Spector, Eli Wyatt, Luke Heron, and Gabe Cabell. Again, Dennis, uh, Dennis Harrison is their coach. Then over at Page Middle School, Dakota Bryce uh, won for the discus throw. Then Fairview Middle School's William Edwards won both the 800 meter and 1600 meter run. Ryan Pett is William's coach. From Thompson Station Middle, this is Luke Russell who won in the long jump. From Woodland Middle School, they brought home the trophy for the state championship baseball in middle school. Now we're moving to high school. Your track champs, the Brentwood High Boys track team. The 400 meter dash, Hudson Allen from Brentwood High School and Aiden Carter from Brentwood High School won the decathlon. From Nolansville High School, this is Morgan Lewis, 300 meter hurdles. From Ravenwood High School, this is Miles Raymer. Uh, for the 1,600-meter run. We have a lot of them. And uh, in the girls, this is Sophie Yaunt from Brentwood High School. She won both the long jump and the outdoor pentathlon. From Centennial High School, this is your 4 by 800 relay team of Gabriel Brule, Bethany Wright, Larkin Johnson, and Reese Amon. And also, Gabriel won the 800 state championship for the 800-meter run. From Fairview High School, we have the 4x800 relay team of Alyssa Andrea, Lauren Sloan, Andy Laurent, and Reese Laurent. And from Nolensville High School, Claire Stegall won for the 1600-meter run. From Page High School, Cole Combs for shot put. And the Page High Boys track team won, are your state champions. And then we have boys soccer. We have your state champion there, and that is the Brentwood High soccer team. So lots of athletic awards. And now let's take a look at some staff spotlights. We have four 
educators, music educators, who were named to the Country Music Association Foundation Music Teacher of Excellence. And this is Elena Gallus from Edmondson Elementary School. This is Ashley Harris from Spring Station Middle School. This is Brianna Boat from Franklin High School. And this is Rose Helmer's for, from Ravenwood High School. So congratulations to all of our students and staff for their accomplishments. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Birdsong, uh, for, for, the, for sharing that. Uh, we have an amazing relationship with the CMA Foundation, uh, and, uh, and I want to thank our arts team for that. <laughs> also, as I was looking at the, uh, all the awards for our middle school team, you may recall that when Darren Joins, our athletics, uh, our athletics director, talked about moving to TSSAA, some of his peers said, you're going to become the SEC of, uh, of middle school athletics, right? And, uh, and so that, that made me smile as well. Also, I do want to mention to you, when I talked about uh, our, our academic success, we actually posted on our website the amount of scholarships that our students have received this year, and I mentioned that at the work session. Well, just last week, Mars Pet Care hosted a Juneteenth celebration, and at that celebration, three of our students received a $10,000 scholarship. Uh, so it, it was a great event for them. And so those numbers are never quite right because there's always a little bit more uh, than, 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 uh, than, than what's there on paper. Uh, finally, I do want to especially thank you all for, your, for the contract vote. Uh, thank you as individual board members for your trust in me, uh, for, for, for the good relationships that we have. There's a lot of disagreement from time to time, which is appropriate for an elected body. And when you all do it the right way. Uh, and I appreciate the conversations that we have uh, uh, it, when you and I have, have direct conversations, and I appreciate the conversations you all have as an elected body. So thank you for your leadership. Look forward to many years to come. Thank you, Mr. Golden. Next on the agenda is the board chair report. I just want to mention again that we do not have a meeting in July, so if you show up here, you'll be the only one. Um, and next item on the agenda is unfinished business. First unfinished business is approval of the reconsideration committee's recommendation for the following library books. Speak, Perks of Being a, Wallfl a Wallflower, The Field Guide to the North American Teenager, and Where the Crawdads Sing. The item, the, this, these, I, this item that we're about to vote on concerns the recommendations um, the recommendation committee's recommendation for these books and whether to accept the recommendation to take no further action to approve maintaining the books but restrict access by age or grade or to remove the book from the library collection. Um, and we want to first start by asking if there is a motion and a second to get the item on the floor for discussion. But first want to turn this over to Bobby to guide us through some items. Uh, first thing is we'll take a vote on the to get it on the table. Okay. We get a motion. Miss, Mr. Mitchell. Okay. We have a second. I'd like to move to place this item on the agenda for, for or on the floor for discussion. Move that we accept the committee's uh, recommendation. We're just getting it on the floor right now. 
Okay, the motion's just to get it on the floor for discussion. We'll go through you each book. We'll get there. On yes or no, what are we voting on, right? I'm You're voting on is whether it, you get it on the floor to discuss. If there is not a motion and second to get it on the floor to discuss and it does not pass, then you do not take action on the item and you go to the next item, okay? So what you've got right now is once we get it on the floor, we'll go through each book. I'll explain the process and how to do it. Okay, so the motion right now is just to get it on the floor to discuss. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept your your request. I don't know that that's a pro, that's an appropriate request, but I'll I'll make a motion per legal's request that we put it on the motion, put it on the floor for discussion. Do we have a second? Thank you, Ms. Apriya. Okay. Okay. Bobby, would you like to walk us through? Yeah, what you've got before you, you've got two different items that concern five different books. Each book is going to be decided on the content of the book to determine whether the book is age appropriate and within the educational mission of schools. Because each book is subjective and because it's based on the content of each book, it was recommended by counsel like me, to address each book separately. Um, so if there's not a motion, I mean, if there's not an objection, we will divide the question into five into, well, the first one will be into four books, into four different actions. Each book will be addressed separately. Now, the action before the board is determine whether library material is age appropriate for the age and maturity level of the students who have access to the materials and whether the materials are consistent and suitable for the educational mission of the school and policies established by the board. There are three appropriate actions before this board for each book. To find the book at issue is not suitable for all grade students, but may be suitable for some because it contains material that is not appropriate for all the ages, which would be to, re the motion would be to restrict access to the book by grade, age, or however you want to do a parental consent. The second appropriate action is to find the material is not suitable for any grade, and that the book is not consistent with educational minimum schools, and the motion then would be to remove the book. The third one, obviously, is if you find the book is age appropriate and within the educational mission of the schools, then the motion is to maintain the accessibility without restriction. I will tell you that state law requires affirmative action to remove the books or restrict them. So if a motion fails because it does not receive the seven votes, as you know, you need seven votes to pass, then what happens is the motion is defeated and the original action by the review committee stands and we go on to the next book. Is there any questions? Okay, the first book that we have is Mr. Wimberly. I'm sorry, I'm not tracking this. We had committees, two committees established to uh, review these books. Each of these committees addressed the books within their report. What we originally had on the agenda was to approve the committee recommendations, not dissect them into multiple parts. So how do we all of a sudden start voting on separate books? Okay. The motion before you is not on accepting a recommendation, okay? You've got three actions before you that I've already explained. You're not accepting a recommendation. How do you amend somebody else's recommendation, okay? That's not the appropriate motion. The appropriate motion are the three actions I've given you. Okay. 
we don't have an emotion. All we have is a motion to, to discuss. Right, and I'm hitting the first one on the floor. The books speak, okay? And why are we not if just... If you want to restrict, I'm sorry? Why are we not I'm just not addressing... Yes. Okay. Now, because we have an objection, we can do it by motion by division. Is there a motion to divide this question into four different questions, specifically to each book? Do we have a motion? Okay, see, now the motion dies and you address all five at the same time on the first one, or four. Mr. Brown? Gotten answered, but you know, I'm I'm trying to track with this because the, the agenda says in writing approval of the reconsideration committee's recommendation for the following books. Right. So we we would have been deep that issue, that one issue divided up to five. You can do that under Roberts. Okay. So the motion was to divide that. Which that would have had to be a motion from a board member, which you didn't receive. Got it. Mr. Hall. Thank you, Madam Chair. I, I guess I had the same question, too. I don't understand why the agenda seemed to be unaddressed, but um, I, was, I was surprised. Now, is there a motion on the table for some action? Okay. Ms. Priya, I'd like to make a motion based on the explanation and reasoning provided by the review committee to maintain, I guess, all four books in question in the first item um, in the library's collection without restriction. I have a second, Mr. Mitchell. And do we have discussion? Ms. Priya. I just, um, I took tallies, because I like to, <laughs> of all the emails we received. And as board members, we are elected to represent all constituents, all families, all students. And I feel very strongly that by restricting, putting restrictions on students and families' rights to check out books from a library, especially our older students, our high school students, um, goes against what we should stand for as a district. And so I want to just reemphasize that we are trying to trust our professionals. The committee has made this recommendation after hours of consideration and talking and discussing and reading all the books. And the great thing is that we have, as a board, created or adapted our policy thanks to Ms. Cleveland, to, to address any issues if families do have concerns about their, their students, their children, reading these materials. We've made it very transparent, very clear that any book that comes into question will send an email to all families in the district in that grade band and let them know that these books are being challenged. So here's the link, here's how you opt out. It'll be very easy and clear so that parents still have the right to opt their children out from reading these materials. Um, that choice absolutely should be left to the parents and the families. So 
Um, I think that based on all of that, it, there's no reason to put any restriction on these books because they're optional. They're not required reading. So, Thank you. Ms. Apriya? Oh, no, sorry, Ms. Clemens. Um, so my concern, um, and I think there's been a lot of confusion, um, going back and forth about book bans and what we are allowed to do and what we aren't allowed to do. Um, we have, we took an office, an oath of office to follow state law and we have a state law that we have not really paid attention to. And I'm concerned we, we need to follow the state law. And um, I feel like as a school board, we need to take time together to look at this state law because, you know, just looking at what the state law asks us to do, it asks us to periodically review library materials. Um, and then it, we also can have a procedure to do more than just ban a book. Um, but, but we can have the books still there but allow the parents, and, and I know it's a hot topic and a hot button, but we can allow the parents to have the option to opt in because we have 42,000 students, individuals. They, I mean, data tells us that they, we're gonna have kids who've been molested. We, we're gonna have those situations and the parents know the children best. And we have to let them help navigate that and give them that priority. And, and if parents want their kids to have full access, then that's a click of a button. It's so much easier, but if there's an undue burden on parents who are trying to protect their children because they're like, there's something that they know that they want to protect their child from. Um, there's a lot, it's a lot of hoops to jump through. So, um, I, but I just really want us to circle back and really focus on the state law that we have not paid attention to. I, I talked to someone from um, the Wilson County School Board um, yesterday, and they've had in, in place for the whole last school year a, a mature um, rated section that parents could opt into, and, um, and it's gone great, and they have not gotten sued. Um, which is great, um, but but I think we could learn from our neighbors who have already enacted that and been working on the state law to perfect it. Um, but we're accountable to follow the state law. Thank you, Mr. Galbraith. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, <coughs> so I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of talk about. Um, about banning books and restricting books. And um, I want, I was a part of this committee, um, spent dozens, if not hundreds of, of hours in both reading these four books as well as, um, as discussing them. And, and it became clear um, as based on the committee's recommendation that that we don't have a we don't have a a method a rubric a criteria um, by which we would evaluate these books, um, and so we have the responsibility and the obligation under the law to to do these evaluations, and and undoubtedly more will come 
and and we'll have to address books as they as they come to us. Um, but I truly believe that decisions on individual books without a standard is going to be considered arbitrary in the eyes of the court. Um, and so while I, I do not ever want to act based solely on the fear of being sued, I think it is a absolute waste of taxpayer money to, um, to go to take an action that we know is going to follow in a, in a lawsuit. And the only people that win are the attorneys and we get to pay all of them. Um, and so that is a, uh, to me, that is just a, that's an irresponsible action. Now, what we can do um, and what I've tried to do, and I'll be more, um, I'll be more diligent in, in actually getting this into, uh, into policy in the future, um, in the coming months. But I want to urge a policy to require the librarians to create that standard um, that they will use and that we can use in reviewing the books um, in the future. Um, for age-appropriate and objectionable content. Um, but then if we, a lot of people said on both sides, said that they wanted, they wanted parents to be able to make these decisions for their kids, and I totally agree. Um, and so, but if we're serious about that, I do want to, I do want to explore expanding, I think Sheila's, um, Sheila's policy that we just enacted is a great start in addressing the books that are coming up for reconsideration. But if we really want to provide parents with a tool that they can use to manage content for their kids, then we've got to expand that to be to allow for um, categories of content. And I think it's we're close. I think there's keyword searches, but it's not easy enough to say that it's a it's a reasonable accommodation that we can provide parents that they have the option to um, if they want to restrict access for their kids, and and they might do it in a manner that that who knows everybody's got everybody's got their own manner. What some people are going to be, I want I want my kids to be able to see everything. Um, some might be I'm more comfortable if I wait until my kid is a sophomore, a junior, a senior, a, you know, not a minor anymore. Um, but if we, but we need to give that more than just the books that are come the, you know, four five, six books or whatever that come on, um, on reconsideration. The policy is still great when they do come up on reconsideration. It's great that we're, that we're notifying them. I just want to expand that just a little bit. Um, if, if that, if those two things are in place, I think we have a, uh, a much better system than we have today. Right now, I can't, I, I read these books. Um, I, think, I think there is, um, and in my estimation, I think there is objectionable content that's inappropriate for minors. Um, we don't have a standard by which we could do that. I've, the other members of the committee um, largely did not think that way. Um, and so, we all agreed that we didn't have a standard with which to base it. So on that, um, on that basis, I, I will support the committee's recommendation, um, but I will continue to talk about this and hopefully we can make some modifications. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Haw. Thank you, Madam Chair. And um, thank you everyone for the discussion we're having tonight as well as last Thursday. And um, we've gotten a lot of feedback from the public. Um, I, I, the things that I have noted are 
that we have, as, as I asked Mr. Golden today for the official tally, 14,516 high school students. And if we, if we were to do something tonight that limited this books, these books, remove these books, change the access, limited the ability to check these books out, that would be the first time we've done that in Williamson County, as I understand from anybody's recollection, correct? So we would, we would make that book unavailable to 14,516 high school students unless they opt in. And we've heard from a number of people, I'd say though it's a 10 to one ratio of people who have said, please don't make decisions for my kids. They want their academic freedom, their academic liberty preserved. And I agree, there is some content that would not be appropriate for every student. Uh, there, are, there are things shared tonight that I can totally understand the objections to. And I would say from our discussion on Thursday, there are effective ways to have discussions with teachers, librarians, and look at the resources available. So on each website for the schools, there's a, a, a digital archive of the library books that are available. Is that correct? And within those, there is a synopsis as well as topics that are discussed. Um, I think that is a very positive step. Um, I'm not sure how long has that been in place, would you say, Mr. Golden? Um, we, uh, within this past year, we okay. installed. So again, all these conversations are worth having, and I can understand the, the concerns about the objectionable content, but I think that more information is helpful. More discussions with your librarians, your school resources, finding out what is appropriate for your kids, having those conversations. Uh, we talked about possibly having more education sessions and information available for, for families to make those informed decisions for themselves and for their kids. And I'm, I'm quite supportive of that. And you know, on the content of the books, one thing I would really encourage people, you know, as you look at these and, and we've heard some quick answers or quick responses say, ban this, pull this from the book, pull this from the library. The book speak deals with very difficult topics. And as I read that, I was braced for some pretty tough content within it. But the way that that is dealt with in that book is so thoughtful empathetic and considerate for the people who are going through those very difficult situations. I would really encourage people to read that book if you haven't. Um, and, then, and then think about what the impact of that would be to make it unavailable to the kids who might need that lifeline to be able to connect to through a fictional character, but through real life experiences that unfortunately happen all too often. These books are not promoting horrible activities. The characters fortunately get their comeuppance in a lot of these books, but they teach kids a way to relate to difficult situations, maybe a way to articulate them and to have better conversations with their parents and peers and to be supportive and empathetic to those who are going through difficult situations. The power of the books is, is a double-edged sword, but there's so much positive that can be gained and I would hate to stifle any of that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm gonna start with a question uh, maybe for Bobby. If this motion were to fail and the board ultimately did not 
did, through all the different things we do tonight, did not ultimately adopt the committee's recommendation, would the books remain in the library? So the absence of a the absence of adopting this recommendation doesn't automatically mean the books go away. There, there has to be something affirmative done to take them away. Correct. The state law requires this board to take an affirmative action to do that. So, all right, that's that's an important piece of information for for me. I, you know, I've struggled with how to how to articulate some of this, and I've, I've had a lot of thoughts Thursday night. I didn't really speak to this. I listened a lot and tried to hear everybody's opinions and. Um, and then over the weekend, getting emails, getting communications from people about this and really trying to think through what's the right way to think about it. And, you know, un unfortunately, this has become like almost everything else we deal with right now, really divisive. Um, if you if you're a board member who wants to entertain any kind of restriction, any kind of alternative to um, unfettered access, you're a book banner. Um, and if you are not willing to just outright pull the books off the shelves, no questions asked, then you're, you're for um, children being corrupted. You're okay with children being corrupted. Um, and I just think that's a really unfortunate dichotomy that we, you have to be one or the other. You know, and I, I'd love for there to be a place that we land. Jay hit on some of this a minute ago in terms of getting ahead of this at the beginning of the process rather than dealing with it on the back end of the process. What we're dealing with right now is the back end of this process. And we're waiting until something's been in the library for who knows how long. We're waiting for someone to raise their hand and say, I have a problem with this. And then we take it up. Now, a lot of this is being driven by the state law and Donna made the point, very good point. We don't have the luxury of not obeying state law. We don't have the we don't have the luxury also of not obeying federal law or the constitution. So this is where we find ourselves is how do you do something that passes the smell test, passes muster constitutionally while also being sensitive to um, the concerns of parents that are legitimate. And so I feel like voting tonight to allow the, allow all the books to stay in the library unfettered or just pulling all the books out. I don't, I don't think either of those is the right decision, in my opinion. I think the, the larger decision has to be, how do we get ahead of this? Um, we've talked, we've heard criticism that if we challenge the librarians uh, or the process the librarians use to put books into our collections and to curate our library collections that we somehow don't trust our librarians. Um, but you know, by their own admission, they haven't read all these books, nor should we expect them to read all these books, right? Um, 10,000, 11,000, 12,000 books in a library. How can libra librarians read all of those? No parent's going to read all those, right? So given that fact, they're, they're relying on other third-party sources to tell them whether something is worthy of being in the library collection. Um, they're, they're relying on other parties to tell them that, just like cer certain citizens are relying on third-party information that they're getting to decide whether a book is bad or not. Let's be honest. No one's doing this because they themselves have always gone through and looked at every single thing to decide that it's not good or, or it is good, right? So I just think there's some intellectual honesty that has to happen in this discussion about how we got to where we are. And it's not just, you're bad if you do this, you're bad if you do that. Let's talk about a process and again, Jay alluded to this idea of how can we have some kind of structure in place at the beginning 
when before, when books were put into the library in the first place. Categories, we've heard reference to rating systems. I think that's harder to do because who's, who adopts the ratings? Who creates the rating system? But some kind of categorization to flag on the front end that this book has this kind of content. Um, and, and so it's maybe not a surprise to people um, as much as maybe we seem to see, we seem to be seeing right now. Um, I'll just say one other thing. Back a few months ago, Ms. Dickerson, when she was making her presentation, now this was on the curriculum decision that was made, but on, on one of these same titles, one or two of these same titles, I forget, maybe it was just one. But she brought up the fact that she and the committee made the determination that that particular title was not appropriate for lower grade level high school students to be reading and to be studying as part of their curriculum. That it was too mature, it had content that was not appropriate for them, maybe it should only be for seniors. So our own professionals, uh, respected professionals, made that determination in the process of looking at that and reading that content and deciding maybe a sophomore shouldn't be reading that, maybe that's more appropriate for a, a senior who's 17 or 18 years old. So I argue, why can't we use that same standard that our own internal staff, tenured people, respected professionals have used to say, you know, we, we bifurcate. Something's only appropriate for juniors and seniors. It's only appropriate for, you know, certain ages. I don't know how we do it, but I just feel like the lack of us having a structure and a process right now has got us in this situation, in addition to the state law that's forcing our hand a little bit. So I would almost say that the options before us tonight, in my opinion, personally, are not great. I don't know that I can get behind any of them necessarily, but I feel like in, in, they, we need to take the long view of this and um, do something that's going to protect us and put us in a position to succeed um, long term. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I appreciate the comments of my colleagues this evening. Uh, all of them, I think they were very thoughtful and uh, um, gave me, and uh, otherwise I wouldn't be making a comment here. So, so to your point about uh, the curriculum of the books, Mr. Brown, these books were all uh, selected to be part of a classroom discussion on unconventional people. Uh, folk, individuals who might be considered as outcast by their community. And that's what, and that's why these books were brought into the classroom as a optional read. What the books did for me, and, and, and I read them all too, is that they, they brought insight into these characters and the personalities of these characters who, and, and discussed what it felt like to be bullied by, the, those characters felt like to be bullied by their community. And it gave some explanations of why they were the way they were. And, and it kind of, and I would have thought in a classroom conversation, you would have talked about, the students would have talked about you know, did the book make you feel empathy for this person who was the main character being bullied or being outcast? And could you understand why they acted the way they did 
based upon their personal experiences. And, and what a great... What, what, what a great opportunity of discovery for teenagers in our high school to think about why does this person who I don't really know act the way they, they do, even, and I don't understand why they do, and it's so easy for me to tease and harass, but really when I step back, maybe I should think a little bit more about what has been their life experience to make them be that way. And so a book that, in my opinion, that makes a teenager kind of dive into and recognize that everybody is different and people act based upon their own personal experiences is a valuable piece of literature that, that goes, that's a whole lot deeper than just the subtext or the or, or the specific sexual content or bullying content or drug content that we're be, that's being called out here um, we are a public school system and, and and I think and I another thought on opting in opting out we we, we are a public school system and we have to provide for every student, regardless of what that student's socioeconomic, gender, or background is. We don't get to pick, we don't get to say we're going to provide curriculum for the 80% who fall into the majority. Or the, we, we have to provide opportunities for everybody. And so maybe the opt-in, opt-out ring, if we look at it, when, when your child attends and signs up to attend school in Williamson County schools, you've opted in to the books that are in the library. Now, if maybe we want to talk about making every book, all 40,000 books, opt out and you when you sign up is it bring a child in and and a parent has to identify exactly out of those 40,000 books which ones their children can read well, let's go the extreme in the other manner that you've got to sign up and say I'm gonna let my child read all of the books or some of the books or none of the books if we look if we're gonna ar argue about whether opt-in is the best approach or opt-out is the best <coughs> approach but, but my point here this evening, other than arguing about the opt-in and opt-out, is that these four books were talking about what makes the main characters unique and why they are, why, why they are unique. And it was brought for the purpose of having a discussion amongst teenagers about what, what about these characters was different and what what made them different and what did you like about them that after you learned about them what did you not like about them and that's really what the whole point of English literature is is reading and getting into the depth of the of the material and and getting past the the titillating passages I guess that that the author decided to add to it so thank you thank you mr. cash Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, 
there's a lot of good information going around tonight. Uh, I agree with, with a lot of what's been said. I'll say this, though. We can, we can have these conversations with students and uh, as parents with our children on books without sexually explicit scenes described in detail in our schools. It doesn't have to be that way. There's ways to discuss every one of these issues in every one of these books. Um, I, I agree with Donna, I agree with Jay and Josh. Um, we've, been, we've been looking at some way to take care of this issue since 13 folks came in this same room and started reading excerpts from books well over a year ago and it was muted because it was so bad. I personally was so embarrassed I couldn't look at anybody in here. But they're still on the shelves. We still haven't sat down and had a real conversation. We were back at square one again. We have, we have our attorneys telling us what can happen if we remove a book and we can do this and we can do that. We can't do this. We can't do that. We never, we never get the, the solid, straight answer. People have been told it's, a, it's a, an infringement on the, the rights of the children. But no one's ever got out here publicly and said that in most of these laws, we are able as a board to look, supported by the state law, at age appropriateness. Lewd, lewd behavior, violence, rape, sexually explicit scenes, every one of them, this board has got the power to do that. Now, I'm not advocating throwing books away. What I have tr I've said for well over a year, let's have a rating scale. If we can't do that much to help every child in this, in this school system, then shame on us. I will vote no on this until we sit down as a board, whether it's at a retreat or wherever, and have a serious discussion about these sexually explicit and vulgar issues in these books. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Wimberly? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I made the motion to approve these. So you can imagine how I feel about it. But I have to say, uh, uh, and if I can personally address Mr. Galbraith and Mr. Brown, what, what the two of you propose tonight sounds real intriguing to me. I would suggest, however, that we go ahead and approve this, get this behind us, so that we can deal with these larger issues in, in a, you know, an appropriate and thoughtful manner. So I ask that we approve these, uh, the recommendations. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Cleveland? I agree with uh, Mr. Wimberly. And Jay, thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate that. Um, and just as a side note, you know, my, my kids, you know, went here K through 12. And they read those books. And so when I asked them about the certain parts of the, that are controversy, 
they didn't give much thought about it, but they loved the book. But they don't remember <coughs> those explicit parts. It's because it was the book as a whole. They really enjoyed it, and they could not believe that there was questions about removing these books. And so I just had to say that because it was, you know, first-hand experience. Thank you. Thank you. If we have no further discussion, we are now ready to move on to voting for this topic. And Mr. Golden, do you have a recommendation uh, for Thank us? you, Madam Chair. I, I do recommend approval, but I want to make a couple of comments. One, our librarians have been talking about this as well. You may recall that the that this legislature directed that the Tennessee Textbook Commission give some uh, guidance. And we got the guidance, and in essence, it was a restatement of what was already in our policy. Uh, so we will take that next step regardless of, of of your decision tonight uh, with those ongoing conversations with our with our librarians because it's on their minds as well. Do recommend approval. Your vote is eight yes, two no, and Thank one abstain, I'm sorry. Thank you. So this this result means that the uh, motion was passed to approve the reconsideration committee's um, request to recommendation to keep these library books in the library. Um, and per discussion, we are you know we will commit to reviewing this in further detail and enacting policy, which is how we can govern effectively as a board. Thank you all for the discussion and to our community for coming to speak to this as well. We do have another item um, similar to this one, approval of the reconsideration committee's recommendation of extremely loud and incredibly close. Bobby, did you want to? We're not gonna try to uh, okay. divide so, this one. So if we'll just, if you just get a motion on. Perfect, okay. Do we have a motion for this item? Mr. Ha, thank you, thank you. Mr. Mitchell, okay, do we have a discussion on this item? Ms. Clements? Um, I served on this committee, um, and I have to say I, I did like the book, and I requested the book to stay on. I was one of the few that um, disagreed with the whole committee. Um, I recommend it to be 16 and older, which is kind of like what we've talked about, the different ages, because I, I think it's really important for us to understand when we look at a high school, you've got kids who are 13, 14, you've got kids who are 18. This is a massive amount of development that happens between those years. Um, there was some heavy duty um, um, situations in this book, but it was a really good book, but I do think it I, I'm going to vote no for this to stay on for all because I do feel like it is much better. It's a, it's appreciated much more for an older reader. It's like I said in work session, you can ruin a good book by giving it to someone too soon. And I think this is a good book to keep on the library shelves. But I would, again, want to keep it for older children. Thank you. Um, Priya. 
respond to that. I, I agree with the original motion to approve this without restrictions, just because we do have the parent parent right to opt out. So our parents know our, their kids the best. And if they're too immature to be reading the content, they can, they can opt them out. So I, I think it's better for constitutionality and liberty to make sure that everyone has access that wants it and parents have the right to opt out. Mr. Golden, do you have a recommendation? I do recommend approval with a reminder of what you all have talk, talked about, about the uh, new board policy, uh, that we will make sure we notify uh, parents per that policy. Board members, if no further discussion, we can move to a vote. Your vote is eight yes, two no, one abstain. Thank you. And with this motion did pass with the approval to uphold the reconsideration committee's recommendation for extremely loud and incredibly close. Thank you, board. Um, now we will move on to new business. The first item in new business is the 2022-23 school board budget. First item is the approval of Central Cafeteria Fund Commodities, $95,000. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, as uh, Rachel Farmer mentioned to you uh, during the work session, this is the end of year request related to commodities to place the USDA commodities revenue item and expenditure item in the same location. The numbers have changed a little bit based on the USDA uh, requirements. Do recommend approval of this. Thank you. Mr. Wimberly, do we have a second? Ms. Apriya, thank you. Any discussion? Okay, board members, let's cast our votes. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. Thank you, motion passes um, for the Central Cafeteria Fund Commodities, $95,000. Next item is approval of the 2022-23 budget adjustments for the final year intercategory general purpose fund. Thank you, Madam Chair. This is the final intra-category request to make sure that each one, I'm sorry, there was no motion. Do we, do we need a motion? Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Yes, do we have a motion? Ms. Clements, thank you. In a second, Ms. Cleveland, thank you. Mr. Golding. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, this is the end of the year uh, a requirement to uh, move all the items to the appropriate line so that each line, to use an old line, foots. And in, uh, in, so we do recommend approval. Thank you. Any discussion from the board? Okay, board members, let's cast our votes. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. Thank you. Motion passed to approve the budget adjustments for intra-category general purpose fund. Next item on the agenda, agenda is the approval of the budget adjustments for the final year intra-category central cafeteria fund. Thank you, Madam Chair. Just as the uh, general... We get a motion for this one. <laughs> I have a motion for this. Mr. Mr. Mitchell and Mr. Cash, thank you. Now we can op open the floor for discussion. <laughs> or, or, oh, sorry, Mr. Golden, go ahead. And Either way, I messed. I may mess this up. Uh, the, we're treating the the, uh, the the same issue uh, at with the cafeteria fund to move the the items to the appropriate categories. Thank you. Any discussion on this item? 
board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. Thank you. Motion passed to approve final year intracategory central cafeteria fund. Next item is the approval of final year intracategory extended child care program. Do we have a motion? <laughs> Mr. Wimberly, and a second, Ms. Apriya. Thank you. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Same issue for the, uh, for the school age child care, uh, extended child care program. Thank you. Any discussion on this item? Thank you. Board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. Motion passed to approve the final year intracategory extended child care program budget adjustment. And final item in this section is the approval of resolution for capital requests for 2023-24. And do we have a motion? Ms. Clements? And then a second, Mr. Mitchell. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. This uh, number, 16252690 for capital annual capital request, uh, is based on the budget decision that you all made a few months ago. The County Commission has not yet voted on a final budget. We know that the Budget Committee has recommended a $13 million approval, but they have not yet made a decision. So for us to prepare for our capital funding request, the appropriate thing to do is for you all to make a motion now to approve that so we can take it to the County Commission for their July meeting. If the commission does reduce our capital funding to 13 million, we will bring this back to you for an adjustment to that. But the purpose of this is to get us started so that we can begin the funding process. And I, I will point out, um, and a few of you know uh, this, the, the schedule for construction projects is getting longer and longer. Uh, the the uh, the and Kevin, I'm trying to remember the exact phraseology. The supply chain uh, is getting much more difficult, so it's becoming even more important that we pass this in a timely manner so that we can get the, the commissioned approval, even if it is on just some of the funding. So, do recommend approval, Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair, a uh, couple of couple of thoughts. It's interesting how how reading is more controversial than spending millions of dollars. I guess. Uh, um, the note that you had, the memo in here, I found it kind of confusing. Um, <clears throat> it says in March you approved the capital request of sixteen million two hundred fifty-two thousand. If we've already approved this, why are we voting on it a second time? Miss um, uh, Farmer, would you speak to that? We have to do, uh, the county requires us to put it in resolution format. What you voted on was the overall budget, but then this is actually putting it in resolution format for them to be able to vote. And where our resolution is going to be for the full 16 million, correct? Right. And if the, well, what, what part of our 16 million did the um, education committee not want to approve? Well, if I'm not mistaken, Ms. Farmer, the Education Committee recommended approval in full and the Budget Committee recommended a reduction to $13 million. They do not have the power to line item us, uh, but ultimately this is a recommendation that goes to the County Commission for their full budget decision that they will be making on June 26th. 
So it's a recommendation from, it's a conflicting recommendation from Ed Committee and from Budget Committee. What was the vote in, in the committee? Do you know? Was it unanimous? Was it split? I can't remember off the top of my head. Off of my head, I don't know either. It may be, Well, and that's and my reasoning for reason for asking that is how how strong was the sentiment within that committee for reducing our capital budget for the year? Um, and and then my next question to you is if the I'm assuming those same individuals are going to those same county commissioners from the committee are going to press a similar reduction at the full at the full commission what's your what's going to be your strategy if we if if we have to reduce our capital um, and maybe you don't want to state that on a public record that and that's fair too well well thank you for that so number one let me try to answer your the the core of your first question uh the the budget committee talked in detail about the TISA funding and our projections for our ultimate revenue side versus our expense side. Uh, if you recall, you all made a decision on the, on, the, on the expense side of the budget when at the moment we had a deficit projected without having TISA numbers. Since then, TISA came in. Rachel, and I'm just going to say just, just as clear as I can, did an unbelievably good job in this new environment with TISA to give a projection of where we were. Uh, when we shared our projections with the new TISA numbers, it was somewhere around $3 million in the black based on our projections. Uh, so they think we have, we, they think we're going to have Oh, a budget surplus of three million, and and without without me speaking for them, they rounded down to to an even thirteen million. So so, okay, I won't go to the next step. Thank you. Thank you, board members. If no further discussion, we can go ahead and cast our votes. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. Thank you. Motion passes for approval of the resolution for the capital request for 2023-24. Next item on the agenda is approval of the 2023 through 2028 strategic plan. Mr. I may, Hood? Madam Chair. I believe the next item is a differentiated pay plan. No, I don't think so. I think she's correct. Oh, okay. I may have missed it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so, um, Madam Chair, as you know, we had a really good discussion about the uh, about the um, strategic planning, and, and I missed that. Thank you all. We had a really good discussion at the last work session about the strategic plan, and you all asked some very specific questions. Uh, after consulting with the uh, with the uh, Lipscomb University facilitators, I made three recommended changes to you from that plan as presented at the work session. Uh, so, so number one, uh, we, we added uh, some language specific to the discussion that we had at so many of our public meetings related to uh, school start times. And we added a recommended ninth 
objective at the very end of that regarding the the uh, the uh, that plan. Uh, second, we made an adjustment uh, to one of the goals related to teacher and staff salaries. There was a concern expressed uh, uh, related to the language in the earlier iteration of reflective of a livable Williamson County income. Uh, so we made an adjustment to that. So there was no implication that that it might have committed us to becoming a landlord. And as I sit here at this moment, I'm trying to remember the third one. Um, but uh, but you all got that email. I know I heard from a few of you uh, I'm responding to that, to those recommended changes. Oh, thank you. Uh, commitment to number three, oh, uh, support and lead efforts for attainable workforce housing options, thanks. We made an adjustment uh, to, uh, to, to advocate for, uh, for improved workforce housing, which really opens the door for a, mu a much broader uh, perspective. Uh, rather than simply leading an effort for workforce housing. So do recommend approval and uh, look forward to, the, to, to where we head with the strategic plan. Thank you, Mr. Wimberly and Ms. Apriya seconds. Do we have any discussion? Okay, let's cast our vote. Oh, Mr. Wimberly, yes. I guess it's more of a, um, a request and a reminder, Jason, to you is we need to shout the strategic plan from the mountaintops. And I think as we've discussed in the work session, it's not enough just to print a brochure. We've got to be more proactive because this is our guiding star, our North Star, as it says in there quite specifically. Uh, for the next few years. So I would ask for a commitment that we do that. Thank you. Uh, you have it. Thank you. Okay. Board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. Super. The motion passed to approve our strategic plan for 2023-2028. Um, next item on the agenda is the approval of the differentiated pay plan. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Obviously, I missed the uh, the order. Uh, this is a state requirement that we provide them information on a particular form related to differentiated pay, which includes uh, stipends for particular hard-to-fills, uh, differences in pay based on hard-to-fills, et cetera. So do recommend your approval of what you have already in the past approved in different formats, whether it's budget or the pay plan. Motion. Mr. Haw, in a second. Mr. Mitchell, thank you. Any discussion? Mr. Galbraith. Thank you, Madam Chair. Do we know how, Ms. Farmer, do we, do we know how much we, how much we actually spent on, on this differentiated, I think this is the same one roughly that we had last year. Any idea how close we got to the million dollars? We didn't spend it all, but pretty close. It was pretty close. So it's a, so it is effective at, well, I guess whether it's effective or not, it depends on how close we are to hitting our goals at, um, at attracting and retaining. But, but we're, we're spending the money, so we are we are getting the we have to get the people to to spend the money. So, um, that's very helpful. Thank you. It, it is making a difference. Um, and uh, Miss Hall, I'm looking at you just to double check me on this. What I have seen is it is most effective 
in the early recruiting stages where we can get commitments from the best candidates early because they know we're offering them that. Um, so we lock them in. Seeing some nods from Ms. Hall, is that accurate? That, that's correct, yes. Mr. Mitchell? Can I get a, an idea of how successful this approach has been, specifically, I guess, around the retention bonuses? Uh, we're paying $600 retention bonus uh, to these professionals and what's the what's the success rate of that i'm not sure how we can compare it to if we didn't have it it's in the maybe to, to your can, point in the great scheme of things it's a small amount um but miss hall is there any way you can speak to maybe may, i'm assuming when did we start this program it's since before i came here so at least five years this this that particular retention bonus has been in place for a long time. Um, our, our staff, in my opinion, does expect it. Uh, it's it 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 has it has been a while since there's been a substantial increase. It would be worthwhile, in my opinion, to get an, if we're gonna if we're gonna have signing bonuses specific to target skills, and where we've got a retention on that. Uh, I, I guess I'm assuming that we're thinking we're out of 940, if I'm reading this, out of 942 staff that it's targeted for, we're expected to, we're projecting to have early signing on 70 and normal signing of 200. So we're figuring on an annual, on an annual basis, we're losing 270 of the 950 staff is that am i reading would that be a fair rate read of the met uh, of I, your I would not have read it that way um the we're, we're talking about the entire faculty uh and so it's not just replacing those people who got that signing bonus that year it's addressing openings due to retirement openings due to growth etc uh so I don't know that it's those individuals from one year to the next. Someone may have gotten it and stuck stuck with us, and then as somebody else retires or moves, the opportunity is there to to fill the position. I will say we have seen across Middle Tennessee an, an increased mobility among professionals. One particular example that that really jumped out as at us two years ago uh, was school psychologists, where one of our neighbors offered. If I'm not mistaken, Vicky, six thousand dollar plus bonuses, eight thousand dollar plus bonuses in the middle of the school year for teachers to terminate their annual contracts with us to take those bonuses. So we are needing to be more flexible than we used to have to be. So, so I'm gonna, uh, I'm, I'm a supporter of this, but I would sure like to see some metrics, historical metrics on, on how well this money has, how successful the strategy has been um, also if we need to maybe some uh, recommendation on whether we need to increase it or adjust it or refactor it thank you Mr. brown
I, I apologize if you um, said this or if it's written here and I missed it, but is there a period of time that they have to serve in order to keep the full signing bonus or the um, hiring bonus? Or And if, if not, is there a clawback? Uh, short answer is no. Uh, the, I will say we discussed that. And ultimately, where where we, if I'm not mistaken, we we pay a half at the beginning of the school year and then half in January. For the for the early signing bonus, they go ahead and they do get that all. But then the hard to fill bonus is paid in two parts: one the first semester and the second the second semester. Have it broken down that way. Uh, the the signing bonuses we have found that. It's important to give that money up front. We've had a good rate of, of, uh, of staff sticking with us because they do sign the contracts. And for many of them, especially those younger teachers, it gives them enough money to make the move right then. Remember the contract is just the one year though. Annual contract, yes, sir. Yes, thank you. That was, my question was around the was around the signing bonus, and I'd be, could you could you provide us with the um, with the history of like to see the retention rates of of the people who got the signing bonuses and and subsequently left. Like the, I really want to know the numbers who've left, just so we know the the cost. So can you? Can you amortize that $4,000 over their average tenure that most of them stayed for three years or four years? Or are we, are we really planning on doing that every year? Uh, it's the, the goal is not necessarily, that goal is not necessarily retention, but, but actually filling the positions early. So I get, I get it, but we just seem to know how, um, how long, I mean, Rachel's expensing it all this year, but are we getting a? Are we getting our? We're getting our bang for the buck if we're if we're getting them to stay longer. So, thanks. If we have no further discussion, uh, Mr. Golden, your recommendation. I do recommend approval. Okay, board members, let's cast our votes. Your vote is eleven yes, zero no. Thank you. Motion passed for approval of the differentiated pay plan. And our last item on the agenda is the approval of the school board meeting dates, which is an ag annual agenda item, Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. We discussed this at the policy committee regarding the, the, the basic standard we have of the board meetings being on the third Monday of every month with the work session the Thursday before that and the policy committee uh, 10 days or so before that work session. However, there are some holidays here and there that cause adjustments. Uh, based on the discussion that we had, um, we did make one adjustment after the work session for the February and March policy committees to actually be scheduled on the same dates as the work session, uh, in part as a result of the holiday schedule. So we do have that one change uh, for which we recommend approval. Thank you. Do we have a motion for approval, Mr. Cash? And a second. Ms. Clements, thank you. Any discussion? All right, board members, please cast your vote. Your vote is 11 yes, zero no. 
Thank you. Motion passed to approve our school board meeting dates for next year. And we are adjourned. Thank you so much.